Elfinworks Productions presents Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. Let's review what we've covered thus far on Ribbons and Bows. First, we moved from the mists of time through the Romantic era. We met Florence Hardiman, soloist for John Philip Sousa, the most well-known act of the day. We met Vera Barstow, who captivated crowds with her 1745 Guadagnini violin. Florence Austin, the fiery American rock star, a virtuoso of a century ago, who captivated the critics and then disappeared from the stage, turning her attention to teaching. And Maud Powell, who was finally recognized in 2014, decades after she had passed away, for her artistry the first woman instrumentalist ever to be recognized with a Lifetime Achievement Grammy. Then, time seemed to stand still for those who experienced the Great War and the Roaring Twenties. With a nod to the legendary violinist, Fritz Kreisler, and his time in the trenches of World War I, we took a look at how war affected the careers of so many of our young heroes, and how an era of new freedoms affected life for them and for all of us and we met six starlets of the musical stage, Irma Seidel, Kathleen Parlow, Estelle Gray-Levine, Barbara Lull, Ilsa Niemek, and Ruth Ray. Then, with the 1930s, we saw the Roaring Twenties grind to a terrible halt. As the stock market crash led to the Great Depression, the worst economic collapse in living memory, to escape from depression into joy, people willingly placed themselves under the spell of the entertainer. And there was something particularly transportive about the magical bows of Ruth Breton, Leona Flood, Viola Mitchell, and Bird Elliott. Through the years until 1950, we experienced accounts of the other great and terrible war of the 20th century, World War II, the century's darkest hour. And we met the shining stars who brought us light, hope, and joy through their musical arts. We also gave a nod to the international women on the scene, including five superlative Russians, Natalie Boschko, Cecilia Hansen, Margaret Pardee, Leah Lubschutz, and Frances Berkova, and three greats from Britain, Isolde Menges, Oria Purnell, and Ida Hendel. There were French fiddlers, Jeanette Niveau and René Chimay, two Hungarian rhapsodizers, Yeli Darani and Steffi Geyer, and the Italian immortal Valentina Crespi. And now, surprising strengths, fabulous firsts, and cool connections. All of us, it is said, are connected to each other within at least six degrees. Within the music community, the connections seem to be even closer. There are surprising links between women violinists of bygone days and today's players. Some we didn't realize until we began this project. For example, violinist Elisa Kolyonin was assistant to the legendary violinist and pedagogue Aaron Rosand at the famed Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. Rosand studied under Ephraim Zimbalist and had an interesting connection with Maud Powell. When he heard about the centennial of Maud Powell's debut, he called Karen Schaefer and congratulated her and agreed to play a recital in Powell's memory. This took place in Chicago in 1987. As you might suspect, two of the main researchers on this project play the violin and are women. Miss Devin Philo, 
who was a key researcher, plays bluegrass violin, old-time blues, 60s music, Scottish fiddle, and classical. She had two women teachers, Tracy Sherry and Cheryl Frank. My name is Lauren Spieth, and I too play violin. I come from a family of players. My stepmother, father, and uncle all played violin. My father, Sheridan Spieth, having studied with Joseph Knitzer. My uncle, Christopher Spieth, who was concertmaster of the Cleveland Youth Orchestra, studied with the great Joseph Gingold, who was concertmaster of the Cleveland Orchestra at the time. During one concert, when Fritz Chrysler came to town for a concert, he bought my uncle a malted milkshake. When I was a child, if my parents were playing violin, they let us stay up all hours to listen, even on school nights. So I have fond memories of sitting on the stairs watching them play trio sonatas. My own teachers were Chris Kraniak, Betty Haig, Joseph Gold, Jeremy Cohen, and the legendary Aaron Rosand. I enjoy playing with the Peninsula Symphony, a Bay Area orchestra led by maestro Mitchell Sardou Klein, and the Coastside Orchestra under Mr. K. Rainey before that. My teachers were kind enough to let me sit in on occasion with their own ensembles as well. The life lessons they taught me have served me well, in public speaking and when teaching any subject, including leadership. These teachers helped me stand up and be comfortable center stage, and they modeled how to foster potential in others. When I spoke with Karen Schaefer, who runs the Maud Powell Society, I discovered yet another wonderful connection. One of my teachers, Betty Haig, a great cultivator of young talent in Chicago, had nurtured many young women to be concertmasters and soloists. One of her famous students, Rachel Barton Pine, had owned one of Maud Powell's bows. As it turned out, Miss Pine had purchased this bow from Aaron Rosand himself. Rosand is now in his late 80s, and he spent his 88th birthday auditioning students, including a number of women, for Curtis. He is a big proponent of American violinists of the bygone era. He doesn't feel they've received the credit they were due. He's also cultivated the careers of many women soloists of note. He knew full well the difficulty that virtuosic women faced in the earlier days. His late wife was one of the greatest pianists you've never heard of, Eileen Flissler. Leonard Bernstein used to play second piano for her and accompany her and engaged her as a pianist for the Philharmonic. And she was pianist for the Metropolitan Opera. But to make a solo career during the 1940s or 50s was almost an impossibility. There were only two that Roseanne could think of, Myra Mess, who was famous during the Big World War, and a great Beethoven exponent, and Guillemar Novaeus. Other than that, he tells us, women were hardly allowed to walk on stage alone. Eileen accompanied him on a recording of the Brahms' Hungarian dances. However, when the album was initially released, the label believed that a woman's name would harm sales, and they insisted on a pseudonym. When the CD was later reissued, Roseanne insisted on a correction. He told me that when they first began to play together, people couldn't accept the fact that there was a woman accompanist. Because how could you be traveling around and playing together if you're not married? This was before they were married. 
They felt it was unseemly. At that time, it was pretty difficult for a woman to make a career at all. Eileen was a very frustrated young pianist, but none of the frustration comes out in her music. Shall we give her a listen? Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History, a presentation of Elfenworks Productions beyond film and music, will return after this brief message. This is Mitchell Sardou-Klein, conductor of the Peninsula Symphony, where women have always been a part of our history, from our first performance in 1948, enriching and engaging our community with inspiring, innovative, affordable, high-quality musical performance, right up to our current focus on music by living female composers, as well as our efforts through our Bridges to Music outreach and education programs. Let's inspire the next generation together through music. Check us out at PeninsulaSymphony.org. Now we return to Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. My Uncle Chris and my teacher Betty Haig shared a teacher, Joseph Gingold. He talked about Chrysler, whom he knew, and talked about all the great violinists of his time. Betty was also taught by Misha Mishikov the concertmaster of the NBC Symphony. Mishikov, who was very famous himself, was considered the world's greatest concertmaster and was Toscanini's right-hand man, an amazing teacher, very tough. He was very disciplined and wanted his students to be very disciplined also. From Mishikov, she learned about the violin, and from Gingold, she learned about bringing out the music after you've learned the technique. She passes on both of those strands to her students with her magical strings of youth. They tour internationally and have performed for presidents and popes. Betty, fighting a little cold, told me, My students bring me much joy and many germs. When we talked in preparation for this podcast, she had just concluded a performance of the Sigourneweisen with her youth orchestra and soloist Stephanie Giong a former student of hers and of Roseanne's, who is now assistant concertmaster of the Chicago Symphony. I asked Betty if she had any advice for our audience. She said, Put in the necessary work. Never cheat on the violin. You must always work to obtain the next level. No matter what you're doing in life, whether you're in computer science or you're a doctor or whatever, never be satisfied with mediocrity. The world is so full of mediocrity now. Strive for excellence. Erica Marini, a Viennese violinist famous for having her violin stolen, was a remarkable genius, according to the New York Press, and was a tremendous sensation by all accounts. She had a connection with the great violinist Maud Powell. Can you guess what it was? She played Powell's Guadagnini. Marini first learned violin from her father and then studied under Sevchik, she made her debut at age 17, but had already been playing in public for 12 years, since the tender age of five. She also made Red Seal records for the Victor Talking Machine Company, just like Maud Powell did, and she was the seventh violinist who was able to use this technology 
sending her wonderful violin playing to the ears of people all over the world. Alas, one of her violins, the Davidoff Stradivarius, was stolen from her apartment before her death in 1995, the subject of a fascinating book, Who Stole My Aunt Erica's Fabulous Strad? She also had paintings, letters, and scores stolen. Marini was never told about the crime, still unsolved to this day. Kathleen Parlow, the brilliant violinist highlighted earlier, mentored and nurtured so many young virtuosos. One of these was Marjorie Edwards, a phenomenal child violinist born in San Jose, California. Of Edwards, Parlow said, She is, in my opinion, a remarkably gifted child. I even use that so much abused word, genius, in regard to her. Her programs during the past two years have been phenomenal. And unless all signs fail, I expect her to be one of the world's great violinists. It should be clearly understood that this is no child prodigy being exploited, but a serious young artist being helped on the long road to art. When she was 11 years old, she was given a Pedrolini violin by several San Franciscans who believed that her musical gifts and talent would guarantee her a brilliant future. The critics agreed. The World Telegram called her musical gold, and the Herald Tribune acclaimed her performance as among the violinistic events of the season. Walter Damrosch wrote, I was amazed at her purity and the beauty of tone and the refinement of her musical feeling. Such artistic stature is one of the inexplicable phenomena of the art of music. Many classical violinists try to trace their violin pedagogical lineage back through to Leopold Auer, Karl Flesch, Sevchik, or Galamian, whose studies are required fare for all serious students of the violin. So dedicated were these teachers that their writings and philosophies of playing influenced entire generations and carry sway to this very day. They would teach until they died. Galamian said, I cannot die as long as there are students around who want to learn to play the violin. This sentiment was held by one and all. Each of the violinists we've discussed has studied with or been influenced by one of these great masters. Some of the women we've highlighted are known to have passed on their knowledge through teaching. Surely many more did so and left no record. How many times did they foster the talents of a future prodigy? Perhaps more often than we know. Remember, claiming a famous male teacher brought bragging rights. Having studied under our was something for your resume. Can we wonder how many students of the great male masters also studied with these women for a time and simply never thought to mention it as important? We do know that Kathleen Parlow, who studied under Henry Holmes, then taught Marjorie Edwards. We also know that Isabel Murray, one of British Columbia's most famous women violinists, was taught privately by Isolde Menges while she was living with friends in Canada, and Mengus, in turn, had been taught by Flesch and Auer. Of all the teachers who fostered women, Auer was perhaps peerless. Besides Isolde Mengus, he taught Thelma Given, the rhapsodist of the violin who hailed from Ohio. She studied with Auer for seven years, and the list goes on. Ruth Ray, Kemp Stillings, Natalie Boschko, Cecilia Hansen, Ilsa Nemak, May Harrison, Mary Gail Hafford, 
Florence Hardiman, Marie Kaslova, Francis Berkova, Evelyn Starr, Kathleen Parlow, Cordelia Lee, and also Ruth Breton, who forged a reputation both in America and Europe, and who studied under Auer in New York. These are women we know about. There surely are others. That's an impressive record fostering virtuoso women in an era when this was groundbreaking to do. But he wasn't the only fair-minded man among his peers. Carl Flesch also had his share of female protégés. Among them, Ida Hendel, Isolde Menges, Jeanette Niveau, Marie Kaslova, and Frances Berkova. Yes, Berkova studied with them both. Henry Shradiak taught both Florence Austin and Maud Powell. And Galamian? He too had some female students. Helen Kvalwasser, Margaret Pardee, and Betty Jean Hagen. Atakar Sevchik taught a handful, including Erika Marini, Marie Kaslova, Gisela New, and Kemp Stillings. Then there was Eugene Itzai, teacher to Ruth Kemper, Natalie Boschko, Mary Gail Hafford, and Leah Lubuschutz. Persinger was a mentor to Guilla Bustabo, Fredel Lack, Margaret Pardy, Dorothy Minty, among others. Gino Hubai taught Yeli Uranyi, Steffi Geyer, Johanna Martzi, Gisela New, and Erna Rubinstein. And we know that George Inesco taught Ruth Kemper, Jeanette Niveau, Ida Hendel, and Madeleine Carabo. Even the famed violin virtuoso Yasha Heifetz taught a few women, including Beverly Somak and Celia Hansen. This episode features excerpts from copyrighted recordings of Maud Powell, Jeanette Nouveau, Joe Gold, John Henry's Farm, Aaron Rosan, Eileen Flissler, and Guilla Bustabo that were used with permission from the copyright holders. For details, including full legal notice, visit elfinworksproductions.com. This concludes part one of a special extended presentation of Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. Tune in next time for part two. Learn about all our products, including this one, available as an audiobook release, and find more information and detailed histories online now at www.elfenworksproductions.com. We thank you for your patronage and partnership as we strive to tell the stories that matter. Copyright 2018, Elfenworks Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.